0: Let's take our Bibles. Turn over the book of John today. John chapter fifteen. John chapter fifteen. Getting quite a workout with my voice today. I, after really not utilizing it quite the same for a couple of weeks, it's, uh, it's tough. Even though I just missed the one Sunday, I was pretty much out of commission for two weeks, and uh, as a result of that, <clears throat> I think my voice is feeling it. Plus, I think there's a lot of Somebody told me we need rain to knock down some of this pollen and stuff in the air. And I'm feeling a little bit of that. So, boy, it's been a, a busy day. I've, I've spoken. This will be the fourth time I've spoke today. And then, uh, of course, sang tonight and that kind of thing. That, that stuff gets to you when you're not used to it. And I take a couple weeks off. You know, the older you get, the quicker you lose your shape. You know what I mean? <clears throat> so, I guess it's the same with the voice. I don't know. But, uh, anyway, I'm glad you're here. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna look at the book of John today. We're gonna take just a minute, a few moments, and we're gonna note just one little thought today. John chapter 15, beginning in verse one. We're gonna read three verses, and I trust this will be a blessing to you. I know that it is to me. <clears throat> uh, I I believe that it's probably one of the most uh, crucial truths that we can really uh, grasp or comprehend in the Christian life. But I believe honestly that uh, if we don't grasp this truth, <clears throat> this reality. It does hinder and hamper our ability to be effective for Christ. And so, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now, ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. I want to stop right there. I want to focus our attention on that last verse, verse 3 there that we read. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. This passage is undoubtedly, I mean undoubtedly addressing Christians or believers today. There's no doubt because in the preceding verses it says, referring to Christ that I am the true vine. My father, the husband, every branch in me that beareth not fruit... He taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Again, we're in the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, we're talking about believers. We're talking to he's discussing or dealing with people that are in the Lord Jesus here. Now, I believe today that people bear more guilt than ever before. I think that with uh, the rising divorce rate, with abortion to the degree that it's been through these years, immorality, running rampant irresponsibility that seems to just permeate our culture and our society. I believe uh, that, along with a number of other factors, bring about a number of guilt-ridden souls today. People that feel guilt, that live with guilt, that are in bondage to guilt, and so many people that that, uh, come to Christ out of these backgrounds, Um, are often never really free from their bondage. They forever feel the burden, the guilt, even the shame at times of their past. Here in the passage, we're given a very liberating statement. He says, now ye are clean. Now ye are clean. Here we are today, gathered in this place, after living a wicked and a very sinful lifestyle. We're hearing a statement that sounds almost too good to be true then. Now you're clean. Now you're clean. Can I possibly be clean? Can I really be clean from my past, from my sin? After all those things that I've done, those things I've thought, those things that I've indulged in and involved myself in, can I honestly, sincerely consider myself to be clean? That's something that our consciences long for, isn't it? To be clean. That's a state in our minds that so often seems to have been forfeited. We almost say there's no way in the world I can ever go back. I can never take away or go back and forget about what took place. I can't allow myself or never will I be able to say I am really clean. We have a hard time with that reality. So can it be true? Of course it can be true. And today I just want to share with you two reasons why or for what reason you can be clean. The Bible tells us why. It's, it's, again, he says, now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And so, in John eight thirty six, we read things like, if the Son therefore make you free, you should be free indeed. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm here to tell you today that the word of God is still true and that ye are clean. So, let's pray and we're going to talk about just two thoughts. We're going to say, you're clean through the word because of his promise and you're clean through the word because of his power tonight. So let's look at those two simple thoughts this evening as we rejoice in the fact that we're clean tonight. Father, we come to you. Thank you for this privilege to gather together and then, Lord, to consider such a liberating thought that as believers in Christ Jesus, washed in the blood of the Lamb, we are clean. Or that is an amazing thought. A liberating thought. Father, help us now, Lord, to truly not only grasp it but to embrace it not just today but through this week and through this month and year and forever understanding that because of your word your precious promises and your mighty power we are clean father help us now lord <clears throat> may you liberate us free us from our own guilt even and Father, remove us from the bondage that Satan has on us, that we might be free to serve you more readily. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> You're clean through the Word because of His promise. Again, in John 15:3, He says, Now ye are clean through the Word which I have spoken unto you. And that's a promise that's made by none other than God Himself. And God cannot lie wonderful truth. Titus chapter 1 verse 2, the Bible says, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie, promised from the world, before the world began. It says, which God that cannot lie. And God cannot lie. Boy, so when you talk about God himself, you're talking about someone that cannot lie. He, it's not even that he, he can, and I mean, you say, well, he's God, he can do whatever he wants. But if God said something, then it wouldn't be a lie because whatever God says is true. God cannot lie. So if He shared some truth with us, or if He told us something, then it is true, without doubt. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 160, the Bible says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. 2 Corinthians 1.18 says, But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. God is true. Again, God and His word are true. There, there, there's, I mean, but, but there's more. I mean, it doesn't end there. God Himself is identified as the Living and True God even. The True God. He possesses a title that literally bears out His character. It says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, For they themselves shew of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the Living God and True God. The Living and True God. (laughs) Ye are clean today because He says so. It's that simple. God says you're clean. But not only do you have God's word on it, you have it in writing. See, I, I need a volunteer here. Brother Guyman, yeah, watch, come on up, brother Guyman. Sean, here we come. I've got a dollar here, Sean. See, some of you didn't want to come up, but now you wish you did. Yep, you do. Some of you adults do too. Because you know that that right there can buy you a McDouble. <laughs> well, wait, it can't anymore, can it? It's $1.19, isn't it? Or is it still a dollar? I've been gone so long, I forgot. I've become delirious, but a dollar. Four quarters right there, stacked up high. Look at them there. Wow. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something for me, okay? I want you to take my chair there on the end. I want you to move it to that side of the stage, then I want you to move it to that side. And if you'll do that, I'll give you a dollar. Hold on a second, though. That's good. I've given my word on it. That's wonderful. But then again, why don't I just go ahead and put it in writing? I have this little contract here. I, Pastor O'Donnell, promise to pay you one dollar if you'll move my chair from one side of the stage to the other and then back again. Let me sign that. Put that in writing. There it is, boy, it's in writing. Now, not only does uh, Brother Sean have my word on it, but he has it in writing. He's got it in writing. And you can't beat that. And you, you know, so go ahead, Brother Sean, uh, let's, let's see how this works. Here he goes. <clears throat> here he goes, he's carrying it over, and he's got to follow the direction, of course. Is it down there? Yeah, one side of the says, there you go, good, good. Right back, please. There he is, he's following through with his end of the bargain, here it is. Good job, Brother Sean. Wonderful job. Well, it's not perfectly lined up. Can you pull it forward slightly? There. Thank you. All right. I wouldn't be able to finish my preaching if that wasn't right. There's your dollar. Contract is fulfilled. He had my word on it, but he also had it in writing. And you know, when you have something in writing, it's even more binding than if you just have someone's word on it, isn't it? And that's why when you go to the car dealer uh, and he says, uh, you say, I want to buy that car. He says, that's wonderful. I'm glad. Let's go in my office. You say, why? Because I want to get the contract drawn up. Why? You have my word on it. That's not enough. We want it in writing. You know what I mean? You buy a house. They don't want just your word on it. Oh, yeah, Mr. Banker. You got my word on it. I'll pay the debt. No, let's put it in writing. Because, see, writing makes things more binding. I'm going to tell you something. God gave His Word on something here. He says, now you're clean. Not only do you have His Word on it, but you have it in writing. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to guess. You don't have to hope. You can know for sure that you're clean today if in Jesus Christ you've been cleansed by the blood. If you've accepted the Lord, if you've received Him into your life, if you truly trusted Him as your Savior, then you are clean today. It's that simple. You've got his promise on it. And you've got it in writing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, turn there if you would please, verse 9. One of the most wicked, sensual, devilish, demonic cultures there was on earth was was, uh, found in Corinth. I personally am not convinced that we've arrived yet at this level of deprecation. I, I just don't believe it. I think we still have a long ways to go. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do I think we're drawing nigh? Yes, absolutely. But notice what it says here in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 through 11. Know ye not, again the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, the church is comprised of what? Believers. Hold on now, understand this. The church is always comprised... Believers. There may be there may be those in mixed in with false professions, but the church is comprised of believers. You understand where I'm going? Now I want you to know that because what we're going to read here is an interesting passage. It's really amazing. Notice what it says Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Hold on, he says, and such were some of you. What's he saying? He said, I'm looking over the crowd today and as I look at Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, if I really want to get technical, I really want to get down to the nitty-gritty where the rubber meets the road. There were some of you, some of you out there were, were fornicators, you are idolaters, you were, were adulterers, you were effeminate, you were abusers with yourselves with mankind, you were thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. You were all those things, or, or some of those things, or one of those things. That's what you were. But ye are... Washed. (laughs) That's good, man. You're washed and you're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. You're washed. Now listen, I don't know for sure, and it may not be quite to the degree of the church at Corinth, but I would imagine that in our midst today, there are those who were fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners, and the like. Gathered in this room, such were some of you. You're not that no more because you're saved, you're blood-bought, you're forgiven, and you're washed. You're washed. Early on in our church, years ago when we first started the church, it wasn't but a few years in I think at the most, we had a couple, like two teenagers we decided to take to camp. And so my dad and I took these two, two uh, girls to camp, Camp Kobiak. And up at Camp Kobiak they have these, um, they have counselors there and all kind of people to take help you out and stuff like that. And so when we took them they got plugged into cabins and so forth and and we ended up staying in this uh, some, like, like, the leaders don't really involve themselves at that camp so much with the kids as they do at uh, the one we presently attend, which which I think is actually better for the kids in the long run. But uh, <clears throat> um, it's better for the workers, too, by the way. But uh, they don't think it is sometimes, but it is. Um, but but the fact is, is that we dropped those girls, that was in those cabins, and we would interact with the kids and with the staff there as much as we possibly could. I loved doing those things, so we were always involved in things they had a football game we got involved they had a baseball game we were involved uh, anything they were doing we got involved soccer i remember doing that my dad was with me and and he was doing all those things as well At that time he was he's was a little younger than he is now and uh he was able to get around a little bit better and sing i don't know if he's even here today so old uh but uh <coughs> i i don't i don't okay so maybe not but anyway okay my yeah but anyway he he's he's uh he would do all those things. I remember we played a football game. I mean, we're talking about a tackle football game. My dad must have been at least 55 years old at the time. Maybe, I don't know. I mean, let's see, 15 years ago, he's, what, 71? So, I mean, we're talking 56 years old. At least. He's 56 years old, probably, over there running around playing football, you know, tackle football. And uh, we were doing all these things. But one day, they, decide, they decided... To take all the teenagers and all the staff, they took them all down, uh, back to this big field and the way in the back. And they had this big, huge mud pit. I mean, it was like 20 feet across. 20 feet around. 20 feet around. And it was about four, it was four foot deep with mud. I mean, four foot, I mean, it was literally, and, and they were having certain games of you know, playing tug of war over this pit, you know, and all this stuff, you know. And I remember we were watching and laughing as kids were falling in. <laughs> It was the best. I mean, they were going in and just submerged. And pretty soon, the staff got this idea, everybody's going to go in. And so they started taking all the teenagers. I mean, these girls with all their little hair and their makeup, and they're all like... Ah, all the way in. And then them girls, staff members, the girls staff members would take those girls, if they wouldn't get their hair in, they'd go... Push them right in. And it, it wasn't like splashing. It was like... Phew. I mean, it was mud. It was unbelievable. Thick, thick mud. And them girls would come out of there, and they're just, I mean, they're just mud, drenched in mud, stuck to them. Just thick mud. And then every once in a while, you know, they'd get kind of, get it would get a little bit kind of thicker, and they'd spray a little water and just get it mixed up good, and they'd keep throwing kids in. Kids were running around trying to get away. They throwing them in. Next thing I know, my dad and I were like, ha, ha, ha we're backing up as they're doing all this stuff. <laughs> and here they come. Man, they took off after us a couple of these big guys, man. I mean, big staff camp members. I mean they were running they were running after us, trucking, and we took off running. I mean, we took off running, we flew into these woods, I mean about half killed ourselves. <clears throat> and we're going running through these woods trying to get away from these guys. They never did get us. I remember going back and I was looking and we were, we stayed in the woods, we didn't go out again. We're looking back through there, and those guys were walking back, and here they were. They're taking all the teenagers and all those uh, staff members and all them youth leaders that were dumb enough to get too close to it. We weren't. <laughs> but anyway, and, and here they are. They're taking them and they're running them over there to this, like, like I don't know what it was, kind of like a, a wash rack in the, in the military, we'd call it. And there's hoses, and they're spraying them off. I mean, they're spraying them off like cattle. <clears throat> They washed them. They were covered in dirt, muck and mire. And next thing you know, you saw them again. Because they got washed. See, the passage says, but ye are washed. It didn't matter that they got thrown all the way in and submerged in the muck and the mire. It didn't matter that they were from head to toe covered in mud. The moment they were washed, it came off. And you could see them one more time clean. And I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how deep in the muck and the mire you were. It doesn't matter how dirty you got. It doesn't matter because you've been washed. You better remember that. Because that old devil, he wants to tell you you're dirty all the time. He wants to tell you how, how weighed down with the mud and the muck of this world you are. And he wants to prove to you that you are useless and unworthy to serve the Master that saved your soul. But ye are clean today. You're washed. Revelation chapter 1 verse 5. Sounds almost too good to be true though, doesn't it? So you wouldn't admit it tonight, but some of you live with guilt 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Oh, you wouldn't admit that. But if I would look a little closer into your life, I would see evidence of it all the time. Oh, I hear those kind of things from people. You say, Oh no, I don't I don't have a problem with that. Oh I know, but when you're asked to do something, you say, Oh I I couldn't do that. Why? Well I just don't feel you know what most of the time it is? You don't feel worthy. Why? You've been cleansed. You've been washed. Revelation 1.5 says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I just feel dirty still. Oh, you mean that the blood of Christ isn't sufficient to cleanse you? Oh, his blood's not powerful enough? His word's not enough? You don't understand, I've been abused or I've been hurt or harmed in the past or I've done some things even to hurt other people or I've done things that were heinous and wicked and sinful. I've done those things that were listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I don't care. The Bible says if you've been saved, you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you are cleansed and you are clean today. Such were some of you. Early on in the New Testament, there was a major debate that was brewing. God's chosen people, the Jews, were struggling with this idea that the Gentiles could be saved. I mean, they are dogs, right? They are Gentile dogs. We're Jews. We're God's chosen people. I mean, there's no way in the world God would receive and accept them Gentiles. They do things that are unclean. They do things that are really bad. They're wicked and sinful. We're God's people. Peter was given a vision one night that addressed that issue. Look, if you will, in Acts chapter 10, verse 11. Acts chapter 10, verse 11. <clears throat> the Christian life is a liberating life. Sometimes it gets a bad rap. People say things like, oh, you Christians have to live by a set of rules. Oh, you can't do all this and you can't do that. And, and, and you're not allowed to go here or go there and all that. But wait a second, they don't understand something. We got out of all that, that muck. We've been taken out of all that mire. We've been washed and we've been cleansed. Why in the world? Why in the world would we want to go back to it? Notice Acts chapter 10, verse 11 through 15. It says, And saw heaven opened, talking about Peter, and a certain vessel descending unto him, memories. Now he's on the top there. He's basically on a balcony and he's, he's in a trance and he's seeing this vision. And he saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. Understand that in the Jewish faith... Under their laws, they were not permitted to eat certain types of animals and certain kinds of fowl because they were considered unclean and common. And it wouldn't be very long a man would knock on a door and say, "Hey, Cornelius the Gentile at Rome wants you to come and visit with him and expound the Word of God because he's so desirous to meet the Savior?" And Peter would have to make a decision. Would he lower himself in his own mind? That's what he would have thought. To go to a Gentile's house. But before that Gentile servant knocked on that door, God gave him this vision to wake him up to the truth of this New Testament that we now live in. Yeah. Notice what it says And there came a voice to him Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord. Isn't that amazing? God says, kill Peter, eat. Oh, not so, Lord. For I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call thou not common. See, before you were cleansed, you may have been common. Nothing significant about you. But I want you to know you're cleansed. See, your past isn't a factor any longer. Your future is bright. And you are free indeed and cleansed from every sin and every stain. In Psalm chapter 103 verse 12, the Bible says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. He says in John 8.36, we've already noted it, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Ye are clean through the Word because of His promise. You're clean. But what else? You're clean through the Word because of His power. See, God's Word is powerful. Powerful. By the way, I didn't mean nothing joking with my dad, his age. I really didn't. And dad, if you were offended, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I just want to let you know that. I'm still afraid of him. (laughs) You're clean through the word. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still afraid of him, all right. You are clean through the word because of his power. God's Word is powerful. Now listen, just think about creation if you would please. He spoke it all into existence. And He spoke and it came to pass. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. It's that simple. Let there be light, and there was light. Seven more times we read the phrase, And God said. And God said, and God said, and God said, seven more times in connection with creation. Finally, in Genesis 1-6, man is created. That's a wonderful day for you and I. Without it, we wouldn't be here. In Genesis one He says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. In each case, in every single case, God's Word brought forth exactly what He had spoken. So perfect was His creation that the Bible records His delight. Over in Genesis 1.31 it says, And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. See, God spoke the world into existence. The universe into existence. He spoke man into existence. And if His Word spoken in a vacuum of nothingness could bring the universe into existence, surely His Word can cleanse the sinner of all sin and guilt. I think of that woman at the well who had had five husbands and was living with the sixth at the time. He goes on to encourage her and ultimately win her to Himself. She goes on into a city and leads men, those men and others, out to meet the Master. He washed her and He cleansed her. And then she brought others to Him. I think of that woman taken in adultery who was caught in the very act. And when all was said and done, the Lord forgave her and sent her away with a standing order. Go and sin no more. I think of Matthew, a publican, and often referred to as a sinner. Nothing more than a common thief in that day. He became one of Jesus' trusted disciples. What about Peter, who denied the Lord three times? And still on the day of Pentecost, he brought one of history's most stirring messages, resulting in 3,000 being saved in one service. Then there's the Apostle Paul, of course, who was a murderer of Christians, literally hauled them off to prison and was guilty and responsible for their death. And yet he was used to write the better part of the New Testament. Now ye are clean. Now ye are clean. The list goes on and on, doesn't it? I mean, many have indulged in a number of acts of the flesh, participated in a lifestyle of degradation. Many have forfeited their purity and seemingly shipwrecked their lives early on. Many have been tormented with the decisions of the past and the consequences of those decisions that have been left behind. But may I say to each and every person in this room tonight who has lived in a life that that has or could cripple them forever, I want you to know, ye are clean. Don't let the devil lie to you. Don't let the devil tell you that you've gone too far, that you've ran too fast. That you're without, outside the grasp and the reach of God. That is a lie right out of hell and from Satan himself. Because ye are clean today. You're clean. <clears throat> now you're clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Again, we're so often tempted to feel dirty, aren't we? I mean, honestly. You think of your past, and the devil's good at reminding you of it. Sadly enough, there are others that would like to do that too. But the fact is, is that you're not who you were. You're clean today. And you have to come to the place. See, your conscience at times will not permit you to accept the fact that you've been forgiven. You know, when I deal with people... Rarely do they doubt that God can forgive, or that He will forgive. They doubt because they doubt they, they can't forgive themselves. Oh, do you believe God's forgiven you? Yes. Do you believe God's cleansed you? Yes. I just can't forgive myself. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter. Because you're not God. Well, I just can't forgive myself. Well, whoop-dee-doo. Who cares? You are nobody. You are the one that's been cleansed. You're the one that's been forgiven. You are not God. And you have no right to condemn yourself. You have no right to sentence yourself. And you have no right to hold yourself responsible for something that God has forgiven you for. You don't understand. Every day I look in the mirror and I see a... Doesn't matter. Stop seeing it because it's not there no more. God washed you. He cleansed you. Our worst enemy is not the Lord. It's not others. It's us. In the Word of God, the Lord reassures us over and over and over again as His children. Now, if you're lost today, you're still guilty of sin. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to ultimately spend an eternity separated from God forever in a place called the lake of fire. But, if you truly have been saved, received Christ as your Savior, then you have been cleansed. You've been washed. You you no longer bear that guilt. You no longer need to bear that shame. That past is in the past. It is forgotten forever. It is buried in the depths of the sea. It's as far as the east is from the west. You are cleansed tonight. You're forgiven. In the book of Hebrews, we're often reminded of the Old Testament law and those sacrifices that were made on behalf of the people of God. Those sacrifices... Or those animals whose blood was shed was simply a temporary covering of sin until ultimately the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ, would be offered on Calvary. And I want to tell you, he already died. And he already shed his blood. And that blood washes you clean. Hebrews nine twelve, look there if you would. Hebrews chapter nine, verse twelve. We're drawing close to the end. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. We begin reading there. It says, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by His own blood He entered entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He says if those sacrifices, those animal sacrifices, made on behalf of the people of God back in the Old Testament... Would, would cover their sin temporarily, if it would do that work, how much more shall the blood of Christ, a perfect sacrifice, perfect blood, wash your sin away and purge your conscience? I'm going to tell you something. Completely. It's done. It's a done deal. His sacrifice completed the transaction once and for all. There's no need to ever doubt that you're clean. You never have to doubt that. Forgive yourself, even as God has forgiven you. And then you'll be free from the guilt that hinders your service to God today. See, the devil, again, wants you to believe that you are worthless and that you have little or no value to God. He wants you to focus your attention on what and who you were. Not what and who you are. It's hard to let go of the past when people hold on to it around you. And sometimes, sometimes even they don't hold on to it as much as you do. There's that event in your past. But every time you start to fly high for God, you think about it. It's brought to your memory. And you think to yourself, I'm such a sinner. I'm so wicked. Hey, by the way, join the human race. We're all there, okay? We're all there. You say, but you don't realize, I I had an abortion, and now I realize that's murder. And every day I think about that, or, or... it was For years I was okay, but all of a sudden now, just like that, it clicks in my head. And I can't get it out of my mind. I killed a baby. You can't do anything about that. What I do know is, you're clean. You put your faith and trust in Christ. You receive the Lord. You've been washed. You've been clean. The Apostle Paul murdered Christians. Murdered them. Drug them out of their homes, took them into prison, shackled them there, and ultimately they were either persecuted, they were beaten, and they were, they were scourged or possibly killed. Hey, wait a second. What's he supposed to do now? Sorry, God. I cannot serve you now. Sorry, Lord. How can I be used to write the New Testament? I killed Christians. I was a murderer of men. Not only regular men, but your people. Hey, aren't you glad that the Apostle Paul at some point was able to say, I'm clean. Oh, that was a step of faith. Oh, yes, indeed it was. Because you have to believe that that Word is God's Word. And you have to believe that God keeps His Word. And that He will not lie. And you have to admit to yourself, finally, that what God says is more important than what I think. And I will not allow my feelings and my emotions to rule what I know to be truth. I'm clean, devil. Get thee behind me. The Apostle Paul he had to deal with this on an ongoing basis as a matter of fact we note what that basis was over there in the book of Philippians chapter um, chapter uh, thir- three, chapter 3 verse 13 when he says forgetting those things which are behind forgetting those things which are behind he says I this one thing I do of all the things I have to deal with in my life of all the the, the difficulties of all the stress, of all the, the, the responsibilities that I have, there's one thing that I have to focus my attention on every day of my life. It's forgetting those things which are behind. Because that's the one thing that would cripple the Apostle Paul, obviously. The thought of what he did in his past. And he realized he cannot be used effectively by God as long as he allows the devil and his own mind to hold on to that past. I don't care what you did. I don't care if you murdered somebody. I I don't care if you harmed or hurt another person. I don't care what you've done. You're clean. I'm not saying there's not consequences for our actions. There may be some things that you have to deal with. I don't know. You may have gotten away with something. Maybe you need to deal with that. You have to take responsibility for what you did. If you haven't paid the price for it, then maybe you have to deal with that. I've known people, read about people who murdered somebody 19, 20 years earlier and ultimately had to go and offer themselves to the police because they couldn't deal with the guilt because they hadn't paid the price. Yeah, you got to make restitution. you got to make right the wrongs of your past. You need to approach people possibly that you've hurt or harmed. You need to make it right. Make restitution for things you've stolen. You will definitely have to deal with things in your past. Before you do that, make sure you seek out godly counsel and you understand how far to go with those things and maybe the direction to go. But we've lost that idea in our culture and in our churches today. And as a result, people are holding on to guilt because they've never paid the price for what they've done. Listen, the conscience cries out for for justice. That's why it's important that you, listen, that's why it's important that your children get spanked. because they know in their heart they've done wrong, and they know they ought to be paying a price. and when you don't pay it they can pay the price, you know what they end up developing? Guilt. And you know what you do with guilt? you begin to self-loathe. Now you begin to hate yourself because you don't feel you deserve good things because you've been bad. Why do you think children have so much anger in their hearts today? Why well, I think they struggle so much with things because they are living lives that they know are wrong. They're sinning against God and against parents and against others, and they're not paying the price. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. A, a conscience cries out for justice. Cries out for it. And you know what? As believers, you have been washed and you've been cleansed. And all your past is under the blood. If there's something that haunts you, then, and it's something that you need to make restitution, you've harmed a family member, you've said some things you shouldn't have said, maybe you need to apologize, you have to go to them, confront them, deal with that, but hold on. I want you to know, as far as God's concerned, you're cleansed. You're washed. There's nothing holding you back but you. Amputees often experience some sensation of what they call phantom limb. Phantom limb. Somewhere locked in our brains or locked in the brains of a person there's a memory that lingers of the non-existent hand or the leg. Invisible toes will curl. Imaginary hands will grasp things. A leg feels so sturdy that a, a patient may even stand on it or attempt to. And there's no leg there at all. For a few, the experience includes pain doctors can just sit and watch helplessly for the very part of the body that's screaming for the attention doesn't even exist i read about a patient like that he was a, he was a medical school administrator his name was mr barwick mr barwick had a very serious and very painful circulation problem in his leg But he he refused over and over again to allow them to amputate. They recommended it over and over again. He kept saying, no, no, I'm not going to do it. The pain just continued to go worse and worse and worse. And he kept growing more bitter and more bitter and more bitter. I hate it, he would say. I hate my leg. At last, he finally said, fine. I can't deal with it. I can't stand it anymore. He told the doctors... I'm through with this leg. Go ahead. Take it. Surgery was scheduled immediately. But before the operation took place, Mr. Barwick asked the doctor a very strange question. He said, what do you do with legs after they're removed? Well, we we may take a biopsy or we'll explore them a bit, but afterwards we just simply incinerate them. Barwick then made a very bizarre request. He said, I'd like you to preserve my leg in a pickling jar. Not a pickle jar, but a pickling, just a, a big jar filled with something. A leg, obviously. He said, I'm going to place it on my manual, a mantle. And then as I sit in my armchair, I'm going to taunt that leg. Ha! You can't hurt me anymore! He got his wish. He took his leg, put it in a pickling jar. There he put it up on his mantle. But the despised leg had the last laugh. Mr. Barwick suffered phantom limb pain of the worst degree. See, the wound had healed. But he could feel the torturous pressure, the swelling of the muscles and the cramping of those muscles. Even though the leg was no longer part of his body. He had no prospect of relief. He had hated the leg with such intensity that the pain had lodged permanently in his brain. You know, phantom limb pain gives us a pretty good illustration of the phenomena of false guilt. There's no doubt that you had reason to feel guilt. I have reason to feel guilt back then. Did all those things. But God severed it. You're cleansed. You're washed. But I still feel that guilt. It still haunts me. It's phantom guilt, it's not yours to bear anymore, it's gone. Believers, we are free indeed. Cleansed. Washed. New creatures in Christ. You can be obsessed by the memory of some sin committed years ago. And that obsession may never leave you. It will simply cripple your ministry. Your devotional life. Your relationship with others even. It'll cripple you. You have to make a decision to by faith claim the promises in this book. He made the promise and he has the power to keep it. You have to say, I am clean. I'm clean. And nobody, nobody, nobody can tell me different. I've got it in writing. Father, we come to you. We thank you for your goodness and grace in our life. We're so thankful, Father, for your love for us and or just for the the work that you've done in our life, a supernatural work. We're so undeserving, and yet, Lord, you're so gracious to provide us this tremendous truth, even. No doubt, Lord, we have every reason in the world why we could feel guilty, why we could be ashamed. But Lord, as believers, we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been cleansed and made clean. Thank You for that cleansing. Father, thank You that our past cannot rule us any longer unless we allow it. May You be with Your people. May we, Father, claim the victory because we have Your promise. Your word on it. Thank you, Lord. Tonight, there may be one in the crowd that has yet to receive Christ, someone who has yet to trust and receive him as Savior and Lord. May I say the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. If you've not believed on the name of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, you're already condemned and sentenced to hell. You don't have to do anything else in life. You have already are born a sinner. You will die a sinner. But the Lord says, no, I don't want anyone to spend one moment in that place. I gave my son and offered him freely so that you may receive and accept him freely. And by doing so, you can be cleansed and you can be clean. Do you need Christ tonight? Have you been saved? You've been born again. You've been forgiven of your sin. You've been cleansed. There's been a time, a place when you've accepted Christ, received Him into your life by faith. If there hasn't been that time, why don't you let that happen tonight? As the Holy Spirit speaks to you and draws you. Won't you let Him forgive you and save you tonight? And as a child of God, will you allow yourself to accept the reality of being cleansed? And no longer permit your emotions, or Satan, or anyone else to tell you otherwise. But claim the promise of God. Ye are clean. Father, we thank you now, Lord. Bless us in this time of invitation. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet as the music begins. Won't you come? Maybe tonight you're coming to be baptized. Won't you come settle that tonight? You just make your way forward and they'll help you get ready and prepared for that. You're a child of God and you war with this issue of guilt. You struggle with it. The devil tells you you have reason to feel guilt. Your conscience tells you you have reason to feel guilt, but that past has been forgiven, cleansed. You have to trust God's Word. Claim His promise. If there's something going on in your life, as a believer now that you feel guilt about, then it's something you need to address, you need to deal with it. You need to take it to God, you need to ask Him for His forgiveness. He says over in the book of John, chapter 1, 1 John chapter one verse nine He tells us that He'll cleanse us, He'll wash us clean. we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You may be seated as we prepare and plan for baptism. take just a moment as we prepare and ready ourselves for the baptism. Let me just give you uh, remind you once again about our train of